morning, everybody. Uh, let's go ahead and get uh, started with a prayer. Father Yahweh, I'm so grateful uh, for this day of life. Uh, it's truly a miracle. Father, we just ask that you help draw us closer to you uh, through prayer. Help us to be in constant relationship with you. Thank you for providing the blessing of prayer. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, let's get uh, go ahead and get started. Got a lot to cover. We've got uh, we see psychology, science, experimentation, theology. Uh, most of the major, you know, scientific studies we'll cover today, one way or another. Um, an update from last week. You may remember uh, the raging dispute that Sue Poland and I had in class last week. Uh, and I have submitted uh, both of our points of view to an independent panel of judges, and it's a draw. Uh, John 7, it would appear, uh, the Jesus' very long prayer. John 17. John 17, thank you, see. <laughs> still a draw. I'm still. Uh, uh, could have been certainly said in the presence of the disciples and recorded by them. However, I contend still, or the panel of judges, I mean, said that. Uh, it's hard to imagine that someone could have recorded Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, a stone's throw away from the disciples while they were sleeping. I just want to put... So we might have to kind of think about how the word got translated from some of these private moments or public moments. But uh, do you have a response to the independent panel, Sue? <laughs> uh, and of course, that drew out of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I don't either. Yes, it does. So I feel like they were there. Maybe they were I think there. you're right. No, I think uh, the, the panel decided on John 17 uh, that you have a really good point. Anyway. Maybe we should all vote. I should think we should not. No, we'll. <laughs> I think we should not vote, Brian. I think the independent panel of judges has spoken, and that that's enough. Anyway, uh, some good-natured fun between Sue and I, hopefully. Uh, the tradition of the week. Do you guys know this one? You never step on the foul chalk line. Did you, in honor of kind of Rocky's opening day on home opener on Friday, you never step on them. Joel, do you step on the chalk line? You personally. It depends if I'm hitting well. Okay. If I'm hitting well, then I keep not stepping on it. Yeah. If I'm hitting well, I step on it. There's no superstition there at all. None. Uh, so anyway, yeah. So if you if you're not a baseball fan, just just watch a pitcher, especially going out and he'll just do the. Step over the line. And this, this statement that I'm going to show you applies. It was literally about stepping on the foul line, but I think it applies to all traditions, even the ones we're talking about. You're unlikely to get burnt at the stake for this one, but it's still one of the oldest traditions that you should just can't break. So just don't. You know, just, it's probably better not to. You know, so that's almost really the basis of this class. You're probably not going to get burnt at the stake. Like, unlikely. <laughs> Odds are slim. Anyway, we'll keep going. Anyone do anything with the homework assignment from last week? Anyone remember the homework assignment from last week? Anyone follow through on the homework assignment from last week? And then finally, anyone want to share their experiences if they did follow through on the homework assignment from last week? I know, it's a rough class. You had to do a quiz last week. That's not why you signed up for Bible class. You, now you're you know, asked about your like homework assignments, which are not supposed to be a thing. Anyone remember the assignment? 
Focusing on forgiveness. Yeah, yeah focusing on forgiveness. Like forgiving others, not necessarily. Yes, you. right. We were kind of taking, we, we pulled those things out of those verses and decided it was time to kind of take a break and see if we could apply that. That there's all this language, especially in the Lord's Prayer, about I want you to focus on forgiving others in your prayer life. And traditionally, I would say, big broad brush, that's not language I hear often or use often in my prayer life. So we're rethinking that tradition. So nobody did it. That's okay. Uh, if you did, anyone? Is that just a hair comb? All right. <laughs> Well, I had to, and I, I didn't like do great at it, but here's, here's what I found. I found myself focusing on small issues of forgiveness, like little cruddy things at work that were kind of making me mad, like that day. Not like, I'm going to go back and forgive my sixth grade teacher who did this terrible thing. Actually, it's not my sixth grade teacher, it's my... 12th grade teacher, and I'm still working on that, but, um, I, you know, I find myself not like going like to the big things, but to the small things and rethinking the word forgiveness in those small offenses. We talked a little bit about that last week. I think one of your comments was about that. And, um, I would try, it was awkward for me. I tried to pray because again, I, we said, what's the language in your prayer about forgiveness? Is it to ask God to forgive that person for slighting you is it for to ask god to give me a heart of forgiveness toward that person and i tried them all it just was uh kind of cat it's a little bit new isn't that odd I, I don't know if you tried it you might have had a similar experience i don't know but uh um so but i did find that it made a difference so i was driving into work one day and you know i got an email and really early in the morning and we're all you know really having some stressful times at work so we're all just on the edge, and we find that we're sort of always poking each other a little bit, if you know, you know, like stressful people do. And I was kind of working myself up pretty quickly on a email, and I had a you know good thirty-minute drive to work, and I tried to put that into practice. And I have to say, I think it did change just thinking about you know that slight or that thing which was angering me a little bit. And how I was going to do this, and then I'll say that, and then they'll say this, and then I'll come back with that, and boom. It did diffuse my thinking on that a little bit, I would say. And maybe I was hyper-aware of, you know, like the outcomes, I don't know. But um, I would encourage you to keep thinking about that, that forgiveness as an element of our prayer life, I think, needs to become more constant. It seems to be a theme. We talked about that in the last few weeks, so... um, Maybe if I don't call it homework, try try it one time. If you you know if it's convenient, you feel like it, and you remember, and all those things. So, um, so last week we kind of introduced this topic. My my simple man's definition of public prayer. We're going to kind of dive into that today a little bit, um, and look at the results of the experiment and pick them apart maybe. Um, and I just called it praying out loud with others and. I didn't do the animation right on this, but today we're going to kind of focus on these more formal uh, venues or, you know, worship or small group, kind of, I'd say, churchy uh, gatherings, as opposed to, you know, a friend at a coffee shop kind of thing. We're going to kind of look at worship or congregational-based prayer a little bit and look at it a little bit more. We're not going to answer this slide right now, but I'm going to put it here and bring it up a little bit later for you to think about. If you were to say, hey, traditionally, or if I were to have to describe 
congregational praying, public prayers, led prayers, um, or life group prayers, if you want, kind of in that same context, how would you describe them? What would you say are practices or traditions? What's our manner of doing them? What's the approach to those? Um, and we're, this slide's going to come up a little bit later. I'd like you to start thinking about those now. Um, you know, if you're to say across all the churches you've gone to, this one, others, you know, these things you can find as pretty, pretty common um, either phrases or approaches or practices in, in our worship and prayer. Okay, so that's just to get you thinking. So just real quickly, um, you know, we don't, we don't have a ton of examples of when a church came together in a city or in a home or whatever in Jerusalem when they did pray what they said. We do have one, this one we're going to look at in a minute. It's, I don't know if it's the best example, but it's the most ex- extensively documented. But we have these other things. But, you know, and it's not it's not an order. I can't remember why it's not an order. Um, but a lot of them are from Acts where we have these more storytelling about the church as opposed to the epistles where Paul is writing about, you know, how things ought to be or things to keep in mind or encouragements. But in Acts 2, you know, prayer is something that the church was dedicated to or devoted to. Teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. It's right up there. So we can certainly see that they were doing this together, it would appear. Um, in Acts 20, we have Paul with the Ephesian elders, and he's saying, you're, you're never going to see me again. I know this. And they, they sort of drop to their knees and pray together, and they cry, and they uh, say goodbye to each other. Uh, we don't know really what they prayed about, but it was a very emotional moment, according to the text. Uh, we have Acts 16 where Paul and Silas are thrown into prison and they're in chains. And what they're doing together is praying and singing. So, you know, we can, I think, safely assume they were either taking turns praying or praying, you know, one and the other one giving the amen, as we might say, uh, in a very, very difficult situation. In Acts 12, which is before, we have Peter in prison. And it doesn't say he was praying. It doesn't mean he wasn't, but it doesn't mention it. But it says the church had gathered in a home all night. They just prayed all night uh, for their brother Peter. And then you may remember Peter's released and he goes to the church. And the young servant girl, I think, is uh, surprised (laughs) that uh, he's standing there and thinks she's seen maybe a ghost. Um, In Acts 6, um, when they're, you know, they're, the Grecian widows are not getting fed and there's this kind of chaos of getting organized and the early church and, you know, kind of knowing how to do that. Uh, they, they say, you know, choose seven men full of the spirit. And when those seven are chosen, the apostles say, yes, these are seven good men. And they kind of uh, bless that decision with a prayer. We don't know exactly the contents. Um, in Acts chapter one, before the day of Pentecost, we find that the apostles and Mary and Jesus' brothers, th- these are the, this is the groups that are mentioned, apostles, Mary and Jesus' brothers, and the women uh, are joined together you know, in an upper room. They're joined constantly in prayer. So we come back to that idea of you know, prayer being very persistent and constant. And then this one, which we're going to dive into in just a minute, uh, Peter and John, again in trouble, this time by the Sanhedrin, and they're put in prison. 
and we'll, we'll cover that in a minute, and we'll, we'll go into this a little bit more detail, but they pray together. And we do have their prayer. We do know what they prayed about. It's, it's maybe one of the only ones that we have to kind of look at. And I don't want to over-parse it, but it's good to at least look at. And then James 5, not an example, but it just says, you know, that confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And we can certainly move this passage into maybe more of that small personal context, that, you know, family or you and a friend or whatever meeting, but it, it wouldn't, it would also apply, I think, to a congregational setting. And there's, there's other things as well. So, you know, plenty of good exa- examples of the church being together and praying or being in groups and praying. Um, any comments on any of those that strike anyone or omissions or other examples? Okay. So let's look at let's look at the Acts chapter four, uh, twenty three through thirty one. I'll just read it. On their release from the Sanhedrin in jail, and just so that Sanhedrin said, "Stop talking about Jesus being resurrected," and they said, "No." <laughs> and the Sanhedrin threatened them a lot. They'd thrown them in prison. We don't know if they'd been beaten, but it wouldn't have been surprising. Been thrown in prison. They let out. They give. They have an argument. They threaten them a lot. And I bet those threats were real and scary, by the way, because the Sanhedrin had their own kind of soldiers and marshals and law keeping. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And here's what they said. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel and this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with the word, spoke the word of God boldly. I think this is the best example, you know, like with words that we have of a group of people in the New Testament kind of praying together. What are, what's, what are your impressions or questions? I have questions. What kind of prayer is it? Is it odd to quote scripture to God? No. It's, it struck me as a little odd. Yes, something that stuck out to me was, oh, this is a prayer where you tell God a lot of things he already knows. Mm-hmm. That's always something that bugs me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly could be a genetic thing, but that's exactly what struck me uh, was telling God a bunch of stuff he already knows, and even quoting some scripture to him. I I think there's a way to look at that, which I'm going to clarify in a minute. Um, but that struck me a little bit too, Heather. I think I'm 
we're processing the events that are happening that right. we're talking about. So, you know, yeah, God already knows all of that, but I think, you know, like the first part um, is that question, and, and I think that's what they're kind of like, why does this happen, and here's what's happened, and here's what we would like you to do with this. Right. Um, Right. Yeah. Any other thoughts or impressions about just this prayer? Kathy? They didn't ask for the threats to be removed or you know, to be taken out of that situation for boldness to keep doing what they were doing. They, you know, they were acknowledging God and his power and what he had already told them was going to happen and it's happening and please grant us boldness. Yeah. They do not. They do not ask for the trial to be removed. I don't think. They do not ask for their enemies to be destroyed. They ask for the boldness to overcome the threats of the enemy. And it's answered, <laughs> kind of right away. Yeah, that's a good point, Gary. No, I, I think they take great comfort in the sovereignty of God. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they they were reminding themselves that he was in control, that he was sovereign. And I think it is beautiful that they didn't ask for deliverance from what was going on. They just said, just be bold. Right. It's incredible. And God honored that prayer immediately. Yeah. Just giving me goosebumps, honestly, Gary, to hear you play it back to me, even though I've been looking at it all week. It, you know, I think it's, it's great. Um, so I want to talk about something... Uh, because this this translation, they raise their voices together, is maybe not the best. So do we think that however many people are there, let's say 8 or 15, I don't know, more than 5, do we think they said this prayer in unison through some miracle of like inspiration and they were all saying these same words at the same time? Raised their voices together, they said? It's not impl- it's not implied there, is it, that they they sort of had this miraculous gift of almost tongues in prayer. So this this word behind this is kind of in unity. In unity they prayed. In one accord they prayed. So it's the same word that you can find uh, in the in the early days of the church at Jerusalem, where it said, and they were in they were united in prayer and the breaking of bread and fellowship. It doesn't mean they were in unison. So I think that's what it means. And we're having to kind of use our common sense. And um, I think someone is saying this. I think someone is inspired to say this prayer. And they're all in one accord with it. And then this stuff makes a little bit more sense because it is some words for the hearer. They are reminding themselves of God's sovereignty. And then if I turn this into praise down to about here, they could be praising God for his forethought and for the things he said that, you know, and then it sort of changes it, you know, in my mind from him, them reminding God of stuff, you know, you may have forgotten God, but remember when you said, you know, but, and that's the unique thing about praying together is the audience changes. It's not just you and God, it's you and others. And there, there may be 
things that you do like this. Jeff? Yeah. And so if, if we said something about our church and something major happened and they lifted their voices together and said, come now, fountain of your blessing, um, it very well could have been in unison because it was a song. Uh, well, this part could. I don't disagree with you. But this part couldn't and that part couldn't. Right. So. And I was, I was just thinking. No, you're right. Yeah. 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 It does, Jeff. And and I'll, I'll in this class I'll try to be care I'll be try to be honest about identifying my peeves, so that I, you know separate my teaching from my irritation. So, uh, I think when people are asked to recite a verse together, in a group of two hundred and fifty, it just sounds like a gigantic mumble uninspiring, unemotional, unmoving. Uh, when people read a verse together, which I, none of these are wrong, we don't do it well. I say this, when we want to read a verse together, let's put it to music and sing it. If, you know, or when we want to pray together, let's put it to music and sing it. It's as if music, Jeff, to your point, was made to be a vehicle for us to do things in unison in a way that works. <laughs> and by the way, it not only works, it inspires, it moves. So I, you know, my little very black and white flowchart is when we're going to do things, you know, we're going to say everything together. When we're a group of more than ten, you know, let's let's sing a song, which we can do. There's a lot of good things. So I think that's along the lines of what you were saying, and and it is a sacred thing. It's not just a song; it can be a prayer, for sure. Kathy. Certainly. You know, and, and the other thing I see is this pattern of our Father who art in heaven. Right. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sure. And seeing that in there. Yeah. Maybe a few more words, but it's more specific to that particular moment. Yeah. And their circumstance. Yeah, I think that's a great point. This could be this could be a distillation of their prayer time together. And what they shared together in prayer, just bouncing off of each other with their thoughts. Certainly, that'd be a great explanation. Um, the thing that you just said there at the end, I want to is that they had the the thing about this prayer is they had this moment in common. They're talking about a thing they all shared. This intimidation and threat, although aimed at Peter and John, was aimed at all of them. And so this prayer speaks to all of them. They have it in common. We'll talk about that in a minute. And it's, by the way, this prayer is about one thing and one thing only. What are we going to do about these threats? What are we going to do about Peter and John? And it's got kind of a preamble to get there, but then it, then that's you know the ask is down at the bottom there, leading into it. It's interesting in a lot of ways. I don't have all the answers, Chuck. Right. And then right after that, they go, now, consider their threats and enable your servants to do something that's a completely different way 
for God to respond than the way he had been responding. Right. And, it, and it's kind of like, how do, you, how do you say those two sentences next to each other? Right. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> it, you know, spend some time looking at this. I would encourage you to, because like I said, we don't have a lot of the actual word examples. Um, but we know that a lot of times they're under great trial. We know that sometimes they're worshiping together. We know that sometimes they're uh, in kind of community with each other, like the early days of the church when they're in Jerusalem. And so we, we have obviously quite a bit of latitude to decide what it is that we want to pray about and how we want to pray about it as a church. Um, but I think this is just an interesting uh, example, especially just the power. It's inspirational, Gary, to say, you know. And we, we talked in several previous classes about the ask. Let's not, not ask. They, they ask with boldness. Really clear. Give us a spirit of boldness to keep proclaiming your word. It's that important to them. Um, that part of prayer is really easy to understand, <laughs> I think. You know, just what they, what, what do you want? This is what we want. And it was, they were given to Heather. I think the other thing that is really clear is, is um, there, there's a scripture about believe what you ask for will be given to you. Right. And I think that's very good language in this prayer. Yeah, and we looked at that and we said, what does that mean? You know, you know if I don't have faith, I'm not going to get it. And, but you can, you know, the, the, and I, again, I, there's a lot of really good ways to look at this first part of this prayer. But, you know, it's faith building. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're, again, who's prayer for? You know, it's, it's, it's really for us and to be in relationship to God. And, you know, I start off a lot of my stories, especially with Kathy, reminding her about the thing that happened last week that I told her about already. You know, <laughs> Sort of build it back up to where I'm going to make my point or whatever. So anyway, yeah, this, this might be faith building all the way through here. And then, um, but I think it's a really interesting example. Kathy? One last thing. Sure. God's response, which is huge. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but it reminds me of the times when Israel gathered or Judah gathered together and prayed to God, you know, at the temple, and God filled the temple. Right. Yeah. This rush of almost God saying, "I am here, and I hear you, and I sanction what you're doing." Right. Yeah. Thank you. Let's let's move on. So, a little bit of a shift the topic, and so. I've asked this before. What is it we're supposed to be doing when either we're the person leading or the pers- the people listening? It sounds like a really basic question, but I think we need to start there. And we're going to talk about the experiment later. But what are we supposed to be doing? If, if we're listening to someone else pray, what are we supposed to be doing hypothetically? Or what have you learned? Or what do you think? Or maybe you don't know. Right. So I was repeating what he was saying and trying to listen at the same time. And it, it's such a weird thing. But as a child, I look back at that and say, wow, that's a great question. Because as a child, I had no clue. Yeah, what is, what is, yeah, do you have a clue yet? Because that's what we're asking. No. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just, you're right. It is a weird question. Some it's questions like, you ask when you're a child, but I guess that's my point. Some of the questions you ask when you're a child, you forget there's those obvious questions. Yeah, and this is, I get, I totally agree. This is like, this is one of those really hard to answer questions because it's so obvious. 
but I've never heard an answer. Jack? Well, I try to figure out what one might be doing when reminded of Bob Lamb. Yeah. During prayer, he will repeatedly say yes. Yeah. Doesn't say anything more. He expresses verbally what I think most of us are feeling. But he, he just went ahead and would say it. When you made the statement in prayer, yes. You're right. I'm going to repeat that back in case people didn't hear it because I've I've led prayers with Bob Bland saying that, just saying yes, which by the way, is amen in our culture. Yes, you know Bob, Bob was like a countercultural revolutionary. <laughs> you know, once you're a blind farmer who can do everything he can do, you can pretty much do whatever you want. It's very freeing, apparently. But he was so unconstrained by those traditions. But yeah, Bob would say, Bob just says yes in agreement out loud. And only, only him, <laughs> you know, really, except for maybe an occasional one. Yeah, Seth? I just remember getting tattled on by my brother or somebody for not having my eyes closed during a prayer. Mm-hmm. Or he wasn't bowing his head. Or, I mean, I even remember being like, let's bow our head and close our eyes to the prayer. And I think that's just maybe to eliminate distraction. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, a, I'm around a lot of kids a lot of times, and, you know, <laughs> you can, you can yeah. say tarantula and they all look, you know. So, I mean, it's like, and then it takes five minutes to get them refocused. So I kind of understand that part of it. But the other thing that kind of went along with that was I remember – a lot of prayers being words that we never use anywhere else. Right. Ever. I mean, high high language. We use high language. Like, I've never heard you speak like this in, in real life. Yet. Right. And it, which I understand. The formal speaking, language of prayer. Kind of stuff, sometimes you mm-hmm. change the way you talk. Yeah. You don't want to sound. And prepared. of course, you said when your brother tattled on you, how did you know, right? I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I didn't think about that. No, 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 go back. N- Nicole and then. That's sort of my, that's the ask. <clears throat> Do you have an opinion? <laughs> I think it's just men's tradition to some extent because the Bible says they raise their eyes to the Lord. Oh, yeah. And Look to heaven, raise their eyes. Right. Um, yeah. The, so, the, yeah, that's the whole... You've nailed the class. We're trying to figure those out. What, I mean, what, what, like if you're saying amen, that means you're participating in the prayer, and you're listening, you're feeling it, you're doing it. So you're like, yeah, that's, yes, yeah. I agree with that. I, I'd personally take a lot of amen saying, even though I said what I said about yes being our amen, yeah. uh, uh, you know, just to sort of make it feel like there are people that are participating or listening. Katie? Right. To engage with and listen to yeah. and respond to. And if you're alone, then there's no one. Like, if there was another person, your job is to listen and engage. Yeah. That is the whole, that's, thank you, Katie. That's the whole point of the slide is, be right to, with you. The, the slide is about the difference between personal prayer and public prayer. Something changes. Someone is typically leading it in thought, and I think that changes their responsibility. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. 
they have an obligation to make that prayer different than private prayer for all the things you mentioned. And we have an obligation to join in that to the extent that we can uh, as well, right? We're, we're doing it together. Yes, sir. So, like, being part of the prayer or being just around so you have prayer. Right. If it was a more intimate setting, you mean, like two or three friends at Starbucks, there might be a different level of engagement if you were in that two or three? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's why I kind of separated kind of the larger groups that we're talking about today from the smaller groups. That's a really good point. Let's, so, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more, but I just wanted you to think... In, and, and Jeff's right. You know, this is like, we, we, nobody's ever, we don't ever talk about it. We don't ever think, I don't know what we teach. We just say you're supposed to do this physical action like Seth said. But, but really, what, what are we supposed to be doing? Let's talk about that in a minute. So, back to this slide. If you were to sort of start to describe, you know, worship prayer, or life group prayer, or whatever you want to go, sort of corporate prayer, and the things that can often be found um, or that are present, that is, you can... You can kind of count on this being a regular occurrence or a thing. Anything come to mind? And I gave you seven or ten minutes to think about it. So, so bow, yes. Bow your head, close your eyes. And right. Your hands. Physical posture. Sure. Yeah. That's a good point. There are, there are, if we go back a few years, some phrases we could all rattle off right now that you would find commonly in prayers. The one that just springs to mind is guide, guard, and direct us. That's a, by the way, that is a great phrase if you think about it, but if you overuse it, it may, you know, it may just become nothing. Right? You know, there's not, so anytime I mention those things, there's nothing wrong with them, but when they just become sort of like, hey, you just go to this, list of phrases and you just like put them in the random meter you could have a prayer that's kind of sometimes they're just these phrases that have been put together and become kind of hollow steve uh, public prayers usually have to be at least a certain length but not over a certain length so yeah like, right you get up there and say dear god help this day go well amen people go whoa that father you know? god yeah. <laughs> i'm going to give you a welcome prayer that i'm not mandating as law but i think it could work Father God, be with us as we worship you today. I'm not saying they have to be like that. But but someone would say, no, that ain't right, because I gotta like think of some other stuff. You know, I gotta, you know, you know, you're right, there's this kind of length expectation. Well, what about the preparation time that might go into a public prayer? Like in our modern like you might get a notice a week or two ahead of time, you know, please lead the prayer for the thing. Which is not wrong, by the way. I have a whole other closet of opinions on the fact that we think the Holy Spirit is only spontaneous. And I don't think so. I think the Holy Spirit plans things out over millennia. Uh, 
And so the Holy Spirit can be in planning, present. But, you know, we sometimes we'll, we'll written, we'll write prayers and read them, which may be kind of helpful for some people, but that's a thing. Length is a thing. Um, I, wrote, I wrote some things down. Did, did someone else have a hand up over? So sometimes you write them down and read them. We have a lot of advanced prep times sometimes. Uh, a lot of times we'll say what we're going to pray about, then pray about it. We'll spend five minutes talking about all the prayer requests and then say them again in prayer. And I have this question. What does that indicate about what we believe about the presence of God? I think it says something. I could be wrong. I think it says, oh, we're going to open the conduit to God in prayer. Now God is listening. God is not listening. After the amen. And I think... Again, I don't want to paint this out too strongly because I don't want to, but it makes me wonder if we believe that God is present in our assemblies. Jeff? It's so weird that you just quoted Christ. And I don't know if y'all know that, but you just quoted Christ. I didn't mean to, but... In his prayer, he says, God, thank you for listening to me. And then he says, I didn't say that because you just now started listening to me. I said that because... For these people to hear it. Right. And then he says, you're actually always listening to Right. Me. And so Jesus actually does this exact class. You're right. It, 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 we, 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 talked about, we talked about that that last week. Um, so the say then pray kind of is a thing we do. I think we have a bias towards nominating eloquent men to pray. I think we like people that talk well. And that goes into the link thing. If I'm going to talk well, if I'm a good talker, you know, I should, <clears throat> I should do that a little bit and kind of wrap some eloquence. I could be wrong about that. I think they tend to be longish and detailed. And again, like I said, I think sometimes it's acting like God hasn't been present before we started the prayer. Those are some things. And, you know, the things you guys have mentioned, certain language that just appears in prayer and doesn't appear at other times, certainly in play. So... And, and not all those things are to be condemned. They're just, we're just observing. We're just looking at them. So here's what I think um, I meant to edit this slide. But we keep talking about these three passages where Jesus taught. I think in public prayer, when other people are listening, these two are at their biggest risk of being temptations. I really want this to, to be impressive to people. I really want for my prayer to be... Just great. You know, maybe for that sort of feedback of, from people. And, you know, and maybe I could have said it in a certain amount of words, but I really feel like because, you know, I've had two weeks to think about this and write it all down. I'm, you know, I think the temptations to a lot of words and a lot of detail and the, 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 the glory of men almost is not, not everyone's guilty of it. I just think they come into play as stronger temptations. I mean, if you had to lead a prayer before Congress, the opening of Congress, if I had to, these would be temptations. <laughs> and we just scale that down to, you know, my, my religious peers, my family, and wanting to sort of maybe do that. I think we need to be aware of those temptations. So, um, we're going to bring all that back together in a minute, but I know you're wanting to know the results of last week's experiment. Or, remember what we called it at the end? The experiment. Experiment. 
So, so this is the order in which the names and the problems occurred. And on the quiz, we're going to talk about the outlier in a minute. Um, so, you know, this we prayed for Jane first, then Lawrence, these hypothetical people, then Barbara, then Marcus. And everything kind of in these first five is tracking just like I thought the hypothesis would. Which is, the longer you have to listen, the less you're going to listen. <laughs> now, we're going to talk about the problems in the experiment in a minute. The uh, yellow line is the average of, of these numbers, not counting the outlier, Darius. We'll talk about him in a minute. It's about 23%. So, of 31 responses... Um, people could remember about 23% of the 10. So 2.3 people out of the 10 that I mentioned, did you remember what we were praying for them for? It's not to shame you. It's We'll talk about the problems in a minute. It's just, then we'll talk about hypothesis. The, the orange line is if we throw Darius back in, we're at about 27% on average. Um, remember last week when I said, did that prayer seem long? And y'all went, yes, you groaned. We'll talk about how long it was in a minute. So, so what do you see in the data, especially you kind of engineered data analytics people? Anyone, can anyone explain the outlier, Nathan? I, I wasn't Go ahead. That, I think that Marcus would be like, okay, this is going to be one of those kinds of prayers. I've got to get into long prayer mode. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wait, this isn't over. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Refocus. Just the, just yep. the name and the... Surely it's done. I'm almost done. I'm out. Wait, he's still going. Okay, right. <clears throat> right? Back into it. Maybe. Yeah. For me, around that point, I realized, well, you told us the whole time this was fake. Yeah. Leading up to it. And then I was like, wait, he's going to be testing us on names. <laughs> circumstances. Start paying attention. Right. Darius was a unique thing that I don't hear very often. Yeah, there, there's definitely something that happened with Darius. Yes, Nathan? So, don't be racist and forget the one black guy. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, so with Darius, we have the following to keep in mind. It's, it's an unusual name compared to these, or in our congregation, I would say. He's going off to war. Maybe there's a patriotism thing. Um... It's kind of a Bible name, but it's also kind of not a white person name. <laughs> and, and I just think the fact that that was an odd name, my theory is, like Darius. Boop. Everyone's like, Darius? Like Bible Darius? And now we've got you again. And then I lose you immediately <laughs> with, with Nancy. By the way, Nancy, you all, is struggling with her faith. <laughs> um. And then I threw you William, who was not mentioned at all, and 19% of you thought that William was a thing. So, anyway, other thoughts? Yes. You're a scientist. I wasn't here, but since you're asking me about data and science, I have some thoughts. Of course. So, of course. So, did you say, like, the names multiple times? One time. Just one mention. In the first four words of every sentence, the name was mentioned. Okay. Followed immediately by their issue, followed by lots of other words about what we wanted for that issue. Okay, cool. All, right. All right. Hey, cool from the chemist. Name like six times, maybe right. Say better, 
did not one time only. Good, good, Heather. So that also like made me wonder about like the length of time it took to explain what their their personal issue was, mm -hmm. and if that made people pay attention. Like if you just said you know, she's got cancer, I think you said it's back again. Da, 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 yeah. Da. How many minutes of the total length of prayer did that take up? Right. Sure. Good. Good theory, Brian. I suspect we all would have done better. Excellent theory. We don't know these people, right? The names mean nothing, so there's lack of engagement. Sure. Heather? I mean, sorry, Seth, you're the... Um, I think probably what gets me, even in real prayers, not big prayers, is I tend to lock on to something that I'm familiar with. Like, I knew Marcus right off because praying for his surgery, and that's something that rang home to me, where having a grandson, I don't have a grandson, so I kind of forgot who that was. That's my. Uh, and so I paid attention. I probably got stuck at Marcus and then forgot uh, Alan, Jimmy, and Elizabeth for sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great point. My theory on Elizabeth is that suddenly women 55 and older that were taking the quiz identified with Elizabeth, and we had a slight bump. <laughs> Carla. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, have, have you had a grandchild recently? Okay. Yeah. The Darius one for me, having a son and thinking about him going to war. Mm, okay. It's just an immediate, okay, yeah. I cleave into that. Yeah. Perfect. Great, great feedback. Awesome. Let, let me wrap up in just a minute because I know we're a little bit over. Thank you. Those are really great comments. So, this is how the, you know, the best anyone did was seven out of 10, um, and then it dropped. The, the average was about three, 3.07 was what people could remember from that. Again, a lot of variables. Don't know who these people are. By the way, when we pray sometimes here, I don't know who those people are. Just for the record. So it's, there's a little bit of commonality with things like that. So the variables were, you know, where they were in time, the name of the person and gender, or maybe race, or how odd the name was, the event or reason for prayer, which we just talked about, or, or others. And my hypothesis was, in, in most circumstances, the longer the prayer, the less likely listeners can follow. And I think this is the first ever published study on this. Uh, but I think we had to look at that a little bit closer. And, and maybe this is just a confession of, of myself. And I wonder if actually closing our eyes makes it harder. The minute I close my eyes, my thoughts are like right there. I don't know why. Maybe I'm, you know, I think if we were just talking prayer and I was looking, I don't know. That's just one theory. So let's keep going here. So how long is too long? What do you say? In a public prayer in church. How long is too long? Two minutes is too long. Or that's the under. If you get greater than two minutes is too long. Any other thoughts? So, no one? Okay, you guys are seven-minute prayer people. I just am checking. No other thoughts? I don't think you should put a rule on the person. If someone's talking to God and it's important, then who cares how long it is? Well, except, fair enough except that nobody else is following along after a few minutes because that person is having a personal prayer with God, maybe. Or, depends on the circumstances, but in general, I would say that if we, took, if we take our personal prayer life and just copy and paste it into church prayer life, it doesn't work because of the change of psychology and, and paying attention. So my experiment prayer was about three minutes and 30 seconds long, and you guys thought it felt like eternity. 
So that doesn't sound that long. I was, I, I've been timing some prayers. I was in about a five-minute prayer in the last month. Um, and and it, was, it was pretty tricky. So I think we need to keep that in mind. So real quickly, really quickly, praying with others. And this kind of goes to your point, Nicole. So when we're praying with others, I think we need to focus on what we have in common, not what's unique only to me. In, in, you know, we're in congregational. You know, if I, you know, so that way we're more engaged. It goes back to the Acts prayer. So common of joy, concern, and praise um, probably needs to be shorter than private prayer because of the obligation of keeping 100 or 50 or 200 people engaged and awareness of the temptations in Matthew 6, of being praised for it or thinking we have to add churchy language or lots of words to, to do that. So we can, we can close that up a little bit more. Last week, we're really over. I apologize. I'll let you go. And you can catch me personally with comments if you want. Thank you, everybody.